You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 265 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? Good. What's happening in Gina world? Well, you know how I've got this whole menagerie that lives with me? There's the possums, the dog, cat, birds. Uh, Add to that now, Uh bats. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Where? In your house? No, outside. But you can see them flying around. It's actually very cool. It's like the Batman symbol in the sky. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Do you know what kind of bats they are? I don't know. Black bats. I haven't gotten close <laughs> enough to work it out. I don't. I don't plan on doing that. Do they wee on you? <laughs> I haven't had them wee on me yet, Val. Okay. No. Because, <laughs> like in the botanic gardens in Sydney, because there's bats there frequently in summer, and yeah, you've got to watch out because they can wee on you. Yeah, and then then that leads to sickness, doesn't it? So you got to oh, watch out know. for bat wee. <laughs> I don't know whether bat wee is particularly dangerous. I just think it's gross. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good Maybe opening it is to dangerous. the show, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, we'll open up. It is a photography <laughs> podcast, not 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 bat wee. <laughs> now you have been busy at the Bright Photography Festival yeah. and have come across. Uh, you were saying. Um, listeners who yeah. are part of the listener community. Tell us about how the festival went. Oh, the festival was fantastic. So I ran four workshops over the two days uh, and on speed lights and also um, finding great images anywhere. And a lot of podcast listeners came up and uh, yeah. the, quite a few couldn't get, actually get into my courses. They sold out very quickly apparently, which was cool. But uh, the ones that were there came up and said hello so I met lots and lots of people so big uh, big shout out to all those guys who came up and uh, traveled all the way to Bright to uh, you know participate in that, in that workshop it was lots of fun it was it's so beautiful up there Valerie have you been mm. to Bright? No I have um, I know people who live there but um, it looks too cold and remote to me. Oh it's a Beautiful location. So you snuggled there in the mountains, and there's um, so many beautiful trees, and it's just an amazing location and uh, collection of um, lots and lots of uh, great photographers whose niches were like landscape and um, action photography and all sorts of different photographers. And it, it's a it's a great workshop. So um, check it out for next year. It's usually around uh, September October at the end of the year, and um, you just head to. Bright B Bofop Bright Festival of Photography Australia. Um, if you want to check out more about that, 
Okay. Um, I'm keen to get on to this week's topic, which is a beginner's guide to photography websites with our guest, Alex Vita. But before we get on to that, what else has been happening? I think you've, um, you want to share an image by Kerry Setch, is that right, from the Gold community? Yeah, I'm like a proud mother uh, whenever anyone in the Gold community does great stuff, which is on a daily, <laughs> daily. Uh, but uh, there was an image uh, that Kerry Setch, who's been a Gold community member for many years now, and she's uh, taken herself on a trip. She was also um, in my Sicily uh, workshop this year, but she's taken herself yeah. off to uh, Vietnam for a trip and just – pulled out the most beautiful, beautiful portrait of a Vietnamese guy, um, uh, black uh, background, and uh, he's smoking a cigarette, as they do in Vietnam. <laughs> I love their cigarettes over there. But such a gorgeous portrait, and uh, so I just wanted to share that. So basically it's an older guy and he's got a bit of a grey beard, he's got grey hair, he's holding a cigarette in one hand and his face is full of lines and he's a wizened old man and uh, wizened, because, he's good taken, <laughs> because he's taken a drag from his cigarette. A drag. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's there, she's captured the – it's it's the pattern of the plumes of um, smoke coming out of his mouth that makes this magical. And, of course, um, so I saw this picture, and, of course, we'll put the image in the show notes, which you can find at ginamilitia.com. But uh, I saw this picture on Facebook, and it literally stopped me in my tracks. Mm. It is such a good photo it literally stopped me in my tracks so um yeah check it out it's if you're already in the goal community you'll see it on facebook if not um we'll put the image in the show notes and of course if you want to find out how the gold community can take you to the next level so you, that you can take images that stop people in their tracks have a listen to this this podcast is brought to you by the gold community one of the great things about being part of the community is exactly that, the community. The feedback and support you get from fellow members of the Gold community at ginamilitia.com is invaluable. I asked Natalie Ord about this. What has your experience been with the Gold community and uh, what advice would you have for any of the uh, listeners who might be thinking about joining? Uh, well, it's been great having all of your uh, tutorials to access, but again, um, some of the work for me, I've got to keep it somewhat confidential and because it's a closed community, I can put it up there and get feedback for people. Yeah, so I yeah. love that. Yep. Um, so that is really helpful because often when you're staring at things for a while, you, you can't see things. You're just having that different perspective. but. The, the range of skills that people are in the gold community is fantastic. So, and you learn from everyone regardless of their skill level. Thanks to you and Val and the rest of the community for just being so generous with your time and your knowledge. It really, really is amazing. It's like no other place. So thank you so much. It's uh, a credit to you guys and my work and my uh, growth is attributed to participating in your community. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, just go to ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community. All right, let's move on to this week's topic, which is a beginner's guide to photography websites with our guest, 
Alex Vita. Now, of course, a website is so important for any photographer, and it's important not only in explaining that what you're about, but also in its functionality in terms of ease of use, because as a photographer, you're not going to actually make changes to it or tweak it. And you should, you know, your website is should be something that's a place of constant improvement, but you're not going to do that unless it makes sense, unless it's easy to use. Um, and it also needs to function as something that's easy to use, not only for people who are booking you, but also if you're going to use your website as the portal from which people are going to download their photos. So tell us a bit about Alex. Yeah, well, I first discovered Alex uh, back in, I think, 2011 or 2012. So I've, I use Photo Shelter as my main archive um, uh website and that's where all my images are shared and then I've got a uh, WordPress uh, website uh, combined and so I needed someone to customize that and so I approached uh, Alex and uh, he's fantastic at all of that and uh, I've also now um, shared uh, his name with many other photographers that I do. So what Alex focuses on is he helps photographers uh, grow their web presence and whether you need a website made from scratch or you've got a template website, and we talk about this in the interview, that you need customized. So it might be that you just want to get a template website, that one that you get off the shelf and you just need to customize it, add your logo or add some other little um, things that you want to make it work a little bit bit better and and look a bit more bespoke. That's the sort of stuff that he does. But he's also um, a a real expert in the look of websites. And so this uh, interview is all about, we go into what makes a good website uh, experience for the user. And there are so many things that we talk about, like, um, you know, optimizing the website for mobile mobile and desktop, because you know now that a lot of people are moving from uh, viewing websites on their desktop to looking at stuff on mobiles and, you know, things like the importance of font, the importance of color, um, you know, what is it that makes a website ugly and uh, what makes a website look good and how generally to make the website work best for the photographer. Alex shares a ton of info in this interview. Shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Let's have a listen to Alex Vita. Alex Vito, welcome to the show. How are you going? Hi, Gina. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm good. It's good to chat to you. Now, you and I have uh, been, I've, I've known you for about maybe eight to 10 years now. Uh, is that right? Is that right by your memory? Uh, it's possible, yeah. Uh, I've started building photography websites for a bit over 10 years now. So yeah, right yeah. from the beginning. So I uh, first heard about you. I've got a photo shelter website, which is my archive, image archive. And I wanted to customize that so that I could blog from from the website. And uh, I wanted to customize it so it wasn't such a, like a template kind of a, a website. And uh, your name came up and, and uh, you first started doing stuff for me. And you do, you do amazing work. And, and uh, now I've watched you sort of grow your business and build. And I think there's lots of other photographers that, that I know that you've also uh, done some work for. And you're also like um, real master in your area and, and lots of good tips. So I thought it'd be a great idea to bring you on the show and you can share some of that knowledge with the listeners. Um, but before we start, where in the world are you? 
I'm in uh, Romania, in Europe, um, but um, I guess I, I don't work locally with any local clients, mm. and that's kind of funny. I, I work around the world. Most of my yeah. clients are from from the US, I guess, is the, the, the first group, and then Australia and the UK would come in second, and Canada. So I'm, I'm used to working around the clock with all, all time zones. Fantastic. And, and like I've uh, contacted you at all hours. Like, do you ever sleep? Because I always get a, like a quick reply from you no matter when I'm, uh, I'm sending I'm you an, that help I'm email. I'm an zero kind of person, so I have to reply to something immediately. It's that just my kind of being, but uh, no, no, I, I'm good. Fantastic. Uh, so, like websites have changed a lot. Like I, I have been doing photography long enough to remember before there was even this thing of a website and I can remember getting my first website and paying I think well over 10000 to get that custom built because templates didn't exist then. And uh, and then every time I needed to upload another photo or change my photo, I then had to pay, like, honestly, a couple of thousand every time I did that. So thankfully, that has changed a lot. And there are lots and lots of different options available for photographers. And I'm noticing a, a bit of a trend as well that I see a lot of photographers that don't even have websites. They'll just go with, say, Instagram or Facebook as their homepage. What are the advantages of having a website and what, what sort of photographers should have a website uh, over, say, choosing something like Instagram or Facebook as that first port of call to show the folio? That's a good question, and it's actually a common question I get from photographers, especially uh, people just starting out. And the answer for me is usually the same, and it's quite simple. You do need a website. Uh, I don't think you can build a successful photography business uh, these days without your own online presence, your own website, um, because as opposed to social media profiles, which um, you don't control, you don't own, and you're always at risk of being subject to changes. And we've all seen that happen with Facebook, especially. Um, a website is actually an asset that you can control, that you have complete control over, that you can um um, update and edit and, uh, you know, you can grow over time. It's like, it's like, uh, buying a property versus renting something. Right. Um, and that's something that should be valued more and more as opposed to social media sites, which are more, um, how should I say ephemeral, uh, they can be used. They're, they're great tools to use, uh, to market and promote, your services, your photos, but not to put your home base there. Right. And and so with with the choices that are out there, there are so many different uh, template versions of website. Basically, you can buy something off the shelf and it's almost a matter of just drag and drop your photos in and ready to go in, in a matter of, you know, in an hour, you can have an, a website up and running or you can have something custom built what what are the advantages of each of those styles and out of those uh template styles of websites what kinds do you recommend 
Well, um, the decision between using a template and something like a custom, a bespoke website, uh, it's it's not it's not easy to take. And I see it as a game of compromises in some ways. You're you're kind of having to trade money, of course, between the two options or time and energy. And you're also kind of borrowing time and energy from your future self because um, a bespoke website requires more maintenance and money down the line. So maybe let's take them one by one. If you go to a template solution and by template, I'm, I'm thinking of photography specific solutions like uh, Photoshop or SmugMug that most photographers are familiar with. Um, you choose a template. It looks like it does. You have some very limited design options. Like you can upload a your own logo, you can set a few colors and fonts, but that's generally it. Um, that's kind of a limitation, a downside of, of a template because you risk your website looking like hundreds or thousands of other websites out there. It's, it's no longer unique. And you can kind of mitigate that risk. You can reduce it by spending a lot of time with their template demos just to get a better understanding of how it would look like if it fits your needs and then to try to customize it as much as possible within those limited options like change a lot for them to make them stand out a bit because it's it's a standard template mm -hmm. and then the other factor with template solutions is functionality uh, you have again to read what they offer and if that's what you need for the website because you might have, you might need stuff for your website that uh, points you to a custom website that's blogging usually because some photography template solutions don't have a good blogging solution or you need some more custom e-commerce uh, needs. You need to sell photo-based products or you need to sell photo tours and workshops and you can no longer do that with a template website. Which kind of brings us to the other solution, the more complex one, which is to have a, a web designer or web developer build a custom website for you. Um, as as you pointed out, Gina, it's no longer like in the olden days where the developer had to code a template from scratch. WordPress is so powerful these days, you can just start using a good WordPress team and then customize a lot for it. So you have a better starting point these days but you still can go with a custom website. Um, now, I feel that has its own factors, its own disadvantages. Like, it's it's more expensive, of course. Um, the, my tip here would be when working with a, with a web designer to try to get a fixed project quote from them and not work on an hourly basis. And the reason is quite simple. It, it, I know it's a, it's a touchy subject, but um, if you work hourly, you're never fully sure how long it's going to take. Yeah. Uh, and that's a risk that you shouldn't have to take. If you, if you go for a fixed project quote, the developer has to take that risk. They, they promise to give you that website in a fixed price. If, if it takes longer, it's their problem. So you're, you're putting the risk on them. That's, I guess, the better approach for photographers. And besides costs, there's also complexity, of course. Not all photographers are ready for that. Maybe they're, they're not tech savvy. They're not willing to put in the effort. They don't have time for that. So... 
that that's why I started by saying it's a game of compromises. Mm. It's not easy to take the decision. Um, if I were to point out some, let's say, tiebreakers, how to help with that decision, one option would be beginners versus pros. Because when you're starting out, it's easier and cheaper uh, to go with a template website. That's enough for starting out. And pros usually need a full featured website and they go for a custom solution. Another option would be based on the photographer's needs. Like if you just need a portfolio type of website just to present your work to the public, just to showcase your work, um, then you can go for a template because they're, they're beautiful. They're mobile friendly and they, they have nice portfolio templates. If you, on the other hand, don't just want a portfolio, but want to sell a lot of services and tours and blog and promote stuff, then you probably need a custom, a custom website. Right. So if you were someone who was just starting out, then maybe something like a template would be great just to get the work out there so that you could show the folio. And then could you then take that template and customize it to uh, suit your needs or uh, as the business grows? Or would you recommend then taking going from template to something more like a custom website? Well, to to grow the website in the future, um, that template needs to be very flexible. Um, usually, it's not the case. Uh, beginners start with a with a kind of template solution, but once you need to grow, you kind of outgrow it. You can't push it a lot. You you need to switch to WordPress. I've seen photographers sometimes start with WordPress from the beginning, even for just a simple portfolio website, just to have the room to grow because WordPress is much more flexible. But of course, it's not for everyone. Uh, it's, it's more complex. So um, don't expect that just building a simple portfolio, a template-based portfolio in the beginning will allow you to grow too much you might need to switch to a different solution later on. Right. So when you're uh, choosing uh, whatever kind of website, what is the difference? Because we've seen, and I'm noticing now that like, whereas maybe five years ago, uh, there was more uh, desktop users viewing websites. And now it seems to be going more and more mobile users, like people are getting rid of their desktop computers altogether, unless they're in uh, a kind of related industry where they still have a desktop. So where do you see uh, the future? Is it going to be more mobile friendly kinds of websites? And how do we have to change our thinking to cater to that? Yeah, I do think I, I would be kind of a fool to say on the contrary, but all signs point to a mobile first future. Mm. Um, I have, when I work with photographers, I sometimes have access to their Google Analytics or Google Search Console reports from them. And I often see more than half of the entire traffic is on mobile or or tablet. And mm. I see that as a trend. So that's um, on a on a shallow level, that just means that photographers need to use a mobile friendly or responsive template or or WordPress theme. It needs to be mobile friendly from the start. Of course, this is a, a strict requirement these days for SEO as well. 
Um, but if we go a bit deeper into that, it's not just having a, a simple template that adapts to smaller screens. It's about kind of rethinking your content a bit for smaller mobile devices. Um, it's uh, in, in the olden days, people used to, I mean, olden days, just three or four <laughs> years ago, but it changes so fast. Yeah. Uh, people just started building a desktop website and maybe they had uh, a few columns, text on the left and an image on the right. And they knew that on mobile, those columns would just reflow and they would sit one below the other. Um, but that's still a desktop first uh, way of thinking. If you think with mobile users in mind, you have to really pay attention to the order of elements on a page and how it how it kind of flows. And on a, on a mobile screen, it's it's so small. Even though phones are getting larger, I can barely hold them in my hand these days. But you get the idea. The screen is smaller, so how much important content you keep kind of ab above the fold on the first screen and before requiring uh, scrolling. Um, it's it's a bit of change in, in mindset there, I think. Yeah, we, we do need to think about that because um, we're like, as photographers, we're posting to um, sites like Instagram and Facebook and that's where the majority of images are seen and shared and they're, and they're small and they're tiny. So you want to think about how that image translates onto a mobile screen, right? And also how easy it is to interact with that kind of website, whether it flows and works on a, a mobile phone, right? Exactly. Um, especially when you, let's say you have a grid of images, like, yep. a, like a gallery of thumbnails. Okay, on desktop, they sit however many they fit, five per row or something. Mm. But on, on, on tablet, that shrinks down to maybe two per row. Yep. And then on, on mobile, just one per row. And once you click on a thumbnail, when you, when you tap on a thumbnail, uh, what happens? Uh, do you go to the individual image page or does it jump into a kind of a light box uh, full screen slideshow? And how does that work? How does uh, a mobile user interact with it? Uh, all those user experience factors um, weigh more on mobile than on desktop. Yeah, and if this is something, and I, I think I think we're we're correct in saying that this trend is going to continue and become more and more the the, the norm. Where, you know, up to eighty percent, I would say, would view websites off their mobile phone. If you're going to have, say, your folio, your galleries, let's say you're a portrait photographer, and you maybe you specialise in weddings children's photography and events and you've got those three galleries that you want to feature and you've got maybe a couple of hundred images in each gallery that's a lot of scrolling for the user before they they're able to get to an, another gallery right so you've got to think about that sort of stuff exactly exactly you, you can't you can no longer expect mobile users to sit and scroll through tens and hundreds of images that's not realistic anymore um, so you have to adopt other strategies. You limit the number of images for mobile users. You just show the best ones. Um, you maybe break your images. You, you do a better job of organizing your archive into galleries and sub-galleries and sub-sub-galleries so they can easily navigate just like folders on your, on your computer instead yeah. of having one big folder. 
or you have a prominent uh, image search box on your website so people can find your images based on, on keywords and captions instead yeah. of just having them to manually browse your images. On desktop, it's different, of course. And there is room for a desktop experience for a, for a photography website, of course. Um, it depends on the specialty. Um, I, I imagine that stock photographers, for example, for example, still have most of their customers on desktop because yeah. that's where you do your purchasing but it's not the case for everyone yeah good good point and i think the thing the good thing about a lot of the temp template well most of the template style uh websites where you can um you can test out a, the demo version that you mentioned and so i think it's it, it is it a good idea that when you're you're testing it out you might want to um share it with some uh, people whose uh, opinion you trust and say, well, how does this work for you? And make sure that it works on a mobile phone, like a, an iPhone Plus, and then it's also just as good an experience on an iPad as it is on a desktop. And I guess you kind of have to find the happy middle ground between all those three. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's it's a definitely a good idea to test it out on mobile devices. Um and I think you, you made an excellent point there of asking friends and colleagues to also look at the template simply because, the, you know, the website is not for the owner. It's not for the photographer. It's for, for the audience. Uh, the photographer doesn't really need to like it. And, of course, I, I wrestle with that with, with my clients sometimes because they have some wishes or ideas about the website design. And sometimes I have to push back. Why do you like this? Because it's, it's, it goes against common web design best practices. And the goal is for the website to be efficient for your audience, for your visitors. And this is what they usually prefer. This is what's familiar to them, not this overly creative idea that you have. It's, it's again, a game of compromises, I think. Yeah. I, so let's get to down to the, the, the look of the, of the website and giving the, um, the customer or the, the person that's viewing your website a, a good experience. And I had a, a stylist on uh, a number of episodes ago, Diana Mulhern, who came out with a quote that I loved, and I think it applies to photography. And I want to ask you if this applies to websites. And she said that when you dress, you should dress as to not offend the eyes. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I think in photography, when you take an image, you should make sure that the images you, you, that you're taking is, is clear and you're not trying, you're not trying to, um, have too many elements in that photo that's going to confuse the viewer. You, you keep it simple if you're doing a portrait, try and keep your, your background simple so that the, all the elements in the image don't clash with each other and dilute the strength of the image. So, with websites, I've seen thousands and thousands of photography websites and some you, are just a pleasure to look at and others are a hot mess. What, in your opinion, Alex, makes a, a beautiful website and what are the kinds of mistakes that, that photographers are making? Okay, that's that's such a, an excellent but also a loaded question. <laughs> a, lot, a lot to cover there. Yeah. Uh, that quote you mentioned from a, a previous guest of yours, I think it's it's spot on. In fact, there's a there's a popular 
web design book in my industry which talks about how to build a website that's user-friendly and the book is called don't make me think and i think that summarizes what website owners need to do to create a very useful and easy to use website you have to make things as familiar as possible and as easy to understand as possible for visitors and the way to do that is, of course, through like, through the website design in general. That's uh, that's the main topic we're covering here, basically. Mm-hmm. And when I look at uh, websites, I I kind of have a trained eye, and I immediately immediately spot things like. Um, the website is very cluttered. It's it's outdated. It looks old. Um, they haven't customized it. I see uh, sample content. I see content left from from the template demos, and that I guess that's just negligence. But generally, not being pleasant to look at. So what and, are the things that stand out that make something not pleasant to look at? So when you say uh, it's cluttered, g- give an example of a cluttered w- website versus something that's more pleasing to the eye. Well, cluttered means that um, elements on the page are too close together. There's barely any white space between elements, um, most importantly in the header area of the website. So space around the logo, the navigation menu, and then when the page starts, if those are too close together, it doesn't feel easy to look at. Um, That would be one thing. Then... um, and the same topic of cluttered is typography and fonts. That's a, usually a big problem with with websites. Um, so, so on the it, font, because uh, I've yes. seen some horrific font used on websites and I, I don't understand why people make that choice. Because, again, like you said, you're grappling and, and arguing with photographers all the time about that. They'll say, I, I love, uh, you know, a particular font, and but it's hard to read, mm-hmm. you know. So, so are, are there rules um, that come into play when you're selecting a font for your website? Yeah, well... Um- Usually the biggest problem with typography is the font size. I would start there. Um, Too many websites have a a font face that's too small to read. So the recommendation would be to to just make it, let's say, 16 pixels or or larger in font size. Then it's easier to read. Then beyond that, it's the line height, how close the rows of text are together. So choose a, a line height that's at least 1.5 uh, multiplied by the font size. Um, then um, thinking of other problems I'm noticing with typography, uh, inconsistency with using uppercase or lowercase um, or just plainly choosing the wrong font face to start with. Um, I, I, I would go with a font that matches the logo and kind of the general look you want for the website. If it's something more modern, go for a sans-serif font that's clean and easy. Yeah. Um, if you want a website that's more uh, moody or artistic, 
then you can go for a, a, a sheriff font that has more personality and that maybe matches what you have in the logo. But usually the main problem is, is the font size and the line height. If, you, if photographers fix that, it would lead to better readability everywhere. And, and so again, remembering that it's not just, you're not just viewing it on a desktop. A lot of people are looking at it on their phone. And so if the font yeah. is, and then it translates, it's even smaller. And so you just can't read the words or, or work anything out. Exactly. Good point. So you want to make it nice and spacious and with the space, it feels uh, quite luxurious. Now, one thing that uh, that frustrates me is like I'm very literal in my understanding of anything. So if I go to one of those uh, beautiful boutique fancy hotels, sometimes I've found myself standing outside the bathroom door going, I don't understand how to open the door because <laughs> there isn't a handle. And, and so there, there's like a really clever way that the designers created to get in the door. You've got to like, T t tap something or touch something that's not obvious to me. <laughs> exactly. And, I, and, and then I see a lot of confused people behind me that have the same reaction. And I see that in a lot of websites where they're, they're beautifully and cleverly designed, but to actual, to get into the website, I'm tapping all over the place. And in the end, I get frustrated and just abandon the, the thing. So what do you, what, what are your thoughts on that, on, on like very clever designs or beautiful designs like that, that aren't practical? Yeah, that, that's the design of general everyday things that you bump into very often. And it's the same with websites. And uh, it kind of takes us to, to the concept of the navigation of the website, of the navigation menu, because the door that you wanted to access was kind of a navigation too. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it should be intuitive. It, too many website owners want to be overly creative. They want to stand out to be different because that's a good idea usually, but not at, at the expense of usability. Um, everything should be familiar. And that means the navigation menu should be in a consistent spot throughout your website. This is a big problem. Like um, you, you see a navigation menu, but when you jump into the blog area, for example, the navigation changes. You have different menu items or it changes position or it changes color. That's a big problem because it no longer feels part of the webs the same website. It creates confusion um, and you don't want that, of course. Um, the number of menu items, so it's simple to choose if you have over seven menu items in your navigation, um, it becomes harder to choose. It creates that ex those extra two seconds of confusion, right. which again, you, you don't want. Um, you have to, also speaking about navigation, a quick way to jump back to the homepage. Um, most people usually know they can click on the logo these days to go back to the homepage, but right. uh, if you have room, you can also put a home menu yeah. item at for, in the beginning. Um, and in general, just having as, as few steps as possible to, to get to a destination that you want people to, to go to, like your contact page or your image, image pages. Um, but it, like you said, it's all, um, you have to ask yourself, is this familiar to, uh, my common audience? Do they understand easily what this is? Um, am I using 
common words to describe the menu items. Uh, I've seen some really wacky ones, like instead of contact, um, um, they were saying reach out or right. even even stranger than that. They sound like synonyms, but no, you have to spend that extra second just to decipher it, and people just don't end up going there. It's it's a problem. So again, I guess it's a good idea to show the demo to a non-photographer, and does this make sense to you? And and see how they go to to test it out and find their way around the um the site. Exactly. And in fact, if you can, just sit behind them at the computer and just uh, don't give them specific instructions like click there or go there. Just let them browse the website freely, but just set them a goal. How do I learn about this photographer and try to contact them and see what actions they take? And if, if they stumble, it means the template is not intuitive enough. Oh, that's a great tip. Yeah. Um, what about the color of the background, I see so many different, like I, I see a lot, and I want to know your opinion on this, I see a lot of black backgrounds, and I know where this comes from, where if you put an, a photo against a black background, it really makes the colors pop. But then when you mm-hmm. add white text to that, for me, I find it really hard to read. It's frustrating, and I actually won't stay on that website because I don't enjoy the experience. Is there a, a better color? Uh, to use as a background than others, and are there colors that we should avoid? You, you've you've kind of answered the questions for the question for me. <laughs> uh, on on, a bl- on black backgrounds, yes, the images do pop out more, but they make white text really hard to read. So, mm. if you if the website. Only if it's a very simplistic portfolio website which ju- which just showcases images. That's yeah. the only scenario where I I like to I sometimes use a black background or a very dark gray. Other than that, white, <laughs> just white. a solid white background color. That's less distracting. It it still lets images shine. It doesn't take any attention away from that, and it's. It's easier to read text over it. It's just it's just simple. No need to reinvent the wheel to choose colored pastel background colors. They're usually doing more harm than good. Uh, not to mention uh, textures or patterns or even background images. I, I I'm telling you, I've seen examples of that. Like it's a photography website with a gallery of thumbnails. But the entire page had a, a semi-transparent background of another image. It was just too busy. So stick with solid colors. White is usually best. And sometimes I like to experiment with um, with an off-white, just a very, very light shade of gray, which I, f- I feel sometimes make it look more elegant a bit. But It, 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 it is depends. an elegant color, that light gray. It, it, to me, it's uh, expensive is is the, the yeah. first thing that I think when I look at that because you see that you'll see a GQ or a Vogue when you, that you see the fashion photography it's usually on a a light gray background so it it you know to me that's the 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 visual trigger that I see when I look at th- that color exactly and if you can also 
add a bit of color into that as well, like a very low saturation, light gray, just to match the color you use in, the, in, in your logo or the accent color of the website. That would make things fit even better. All right, that's a good tip too. Um, all right, now with the photos, uh, two, two questions here. Uh, obviously, uh, load times are going to be important with with how quickly because I've been to websites where I've just waited for the the gallery to load and I'm like this is taking forever and I'll I'll jump off so that obviously that's important yeah optimizing your images uh, for the website we've done we've done a whole uh, whole episode on that um, I'll put a link to, in the show notes for, to that web, uh, to that episode so load times and and um, having your images optimized for web so that they load quickly and they look great um, how many images should you put oh, well. on? <laughs> is there a well, number that is like the sweet spot? And how many galleries, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the example of, say, the wedding photographer who does weddings, family and events, should you include all three? Should you also include the fact that you do a bit of la uh, landscape photography? Should you include that? Should you include uh, some of the travel photography that you do? Okay, um, I'll tackle the last part of your question because it's it's usually of greater importance for photography websites. Uh, the idea of combining multiple specialties under the same roof, um, and that's a tricky thing to decide. What I usually recommend is if those specialties have an overlap in audience, if you can imagine that clients of one service would also hire you for something else. Mm -hmm. For example, if you shoot weddings, you might also expect them to book you for a family portrait or a, or a headshot or mm -hmm. for newborn photography. There's clearly an overlap there. Then it's perfectly fine to put them on the same website. Uh, you can break them down into sections, have different menu items for each just to promote them separately, but it's still the same website. But when you start combining uh, niches that don't have anything to do with each other, like like you said, portraits and events, but then go into landscape, there's no connection there. I, I, I usually recommend breaking it off into a separate website um, that has the benefit of avoiding confusion of people not seeing you as a jack of all trades, mm -hmm. which doesn't position you as an expert, but also it makes it easier for you as the website owner to promote and market those websites separately. Uh, otherwise, you can't just put everyone into the same funnel, into the same bucket and expect them to resonate with, with your content and your, your images. So that's that's what I would say for that that aspect of combining specialties. But if you have kind of a, a congruent website in terms of photos, um, how many galleries depends on the amount of images you have. Uh, I've seen anywhere from just three featured galleries to tens or hundreds of galleries if right. it's if it's a bigger stock image archive, of course. Um, 
four portfolio websites, maybe threes on, on the smaller side, maybe more than that, five or seven. That's that's comfortable to view. Yeah. And images inside each gallery. I wouldn't say there's a magic number, but what I'd like to see is around uh, 15, 20 images at most for each gallery. Once again, if it's a portfolio website just meant to show the quality of your work and the range of work you do, nothing else. If, if you're selling prints or licenses or anything like that, of course, then quantity matters as well. The number of images you want more. But if it's just a portfolio, there should be no repeat images of the same scene shot from two different angles or anything like that. Just narrow down, tightly edit that portfolio just to make it more unique and to, to stand out. That's what I'd say. Yeah, and that's hard. it's hard to do. It's like, you know, choosing which of your, your pets you love more or which of your children you love more. So photographers really struggle with that and they're attached to certain images. So do, do you recommend that, like, again, you get an outside eye to look over the portfolio and, and like, you know, this needs to be included? Because there's, there's images that I hate and I know other people love for whatever reason so is that a good idea as well it's always we're getting that outside eye in to to curate yeah. the images yeah exactly that's the way to go get outside perspectives it's it's the same with with content with with copywriting it's so much harder to uh narrow down the first draft into something shorter <laughs> yep. than writing the first draft in the first place it's it's just it's difficult and um, it's, it's not just a science, it's, it's an art and photographers get emotionally attached to their, to their photos. Yeah. Because they, they've spent hours in the rain sitting next to their tripod maybe yeah. <laughs> and they should just discard it. No, they should put it up there, but you have to, they have to detach from the emotions and let other people chime in with opinions. Um, because the ultimate goal is to have an, an impressive website. So aside from having the, um, the gallery, you've got the beautiful gallery uh, and uh, navigation is simple, uh, what, what's your thoughts on things like having music as part of the website? Is that something that you recommend or not? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't expecting this question. Don't don't get me started on music. I, I'm I'm so against websites with auto playing music, Amazing. and um, it, it does happen, especially with um, wedding photographers. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess the reason is they want to set a mood for their browsers that the website is elegant and they put this sort of jazzy lounge music in the background, but it's, it's, it's annoying. You're kind of not letting visitors make their own decisions. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm against, uh, any sort of auto playing music or video on websites. Um, I wrote, um, an April fool's joke last year, Especially for that, I argued 10 reasons why to have it. And there were just these outrageous <laughs> examples of uh, new sites doing that and how music uh, helps set the mood and puts more babies into the world and things like that. Just That's for funny. the 
really cool of it, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so in, auto music is no, uh, I guess. And uh, what about auto playing? So often you can have uh, these uh, t- templates where they'll uh, the slideshow will just come on and auto play and you can't actually scroll to the next image. What do you think about that? I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, all, I'm focused on providing the best browsing experience for the visitors. So yeah. when you have a slideshow that's forcing them to see specific images, why, why is that a good thing? Mm-hmm. I, I feel that... Uh, it's another discussion to talk about slideshows in general on the yeah. homepage. We could we can cover that a bit as well. But if you if you are keen on having a slideshow, why not give visitors control over that over it? So have arrows so they can switch images. Have a play and pause button for the slideshow right. so they can go manually through it. Um, allow using. Uh, keyboard arrows to change images more quickly than having to use your mouse or on mobile devices uh, swiping to change images. Give them control, otherwise you're forcing them to view images at a specific delay and in a specific sequence. They won't do that these days, they would just scroll past it and they won't form a connection. They won't see past your second image. Yeah. So there seems to be a common theme, and that's to to give the uh, the viewer control over the entire web experience, so they can control where they click, um, and and what image they see next. Which brings me to the the next um, uh, thing that uh, annoys me when I'm looking at a website: are pop-ups. Yeah. So uh, do they work, like often like can we help you have you got a question that pop-ups or sign up to my newsletter or check out this uh article that I write or buy this or that they annoy me if it's like um what 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 are your thoughts on that can they be done in a way that's not annoying? Uh yes, uh, I I do think they can. Um they are being overused because they work of course. Yeah. They're, they're efficient. If if they weren't, they wouldn't have been used. Um, but I, I I put an asterisk on that because they work based on what metric. The metric that everyone looks at is their conversion rate, their subscribers to their newsletter or whatever the pop-up is used for. Of course, it's, it's effective in that way because it's more... Um, intrusive. It's more interrupting people. So some of them will use it so the numbers grow. But nobody looks or can look easily into other metrics like how many people close the browser tab right then and there out of annoyance. Right. Nobody tracks that. How many people lose trust with that photographer because the website was too intrusive? You can't really track that easily. So it's a game of compromises. Again, um, the pop-ups can be made more discreet. Um, and usually the strategies to do that are, number one, to make sure it's... it's um, well-designed, so it's at least pleasing to the eye. Then, the moment it shows up, it sh- the pop-up shouldn't show up immediately when loading the, the website. That's too aggressive. You should put uh, a delay to it, like 
30 seconds or after visiting two or three pages on your website, only then should it show up because at least it signals that the visitor browsed around a bit, is is interested a bit in the content on the website. Only then can you ask something of them to, to subscribe or to click a button. Or uh, another strategy, and I've seen most uh, pop-up tools um, implement this, is have an exit intent trigger. So only show the pop-up when the user signals that they are going to leave the website. Right. Uh, that's That's effective as well. And it's it's less intrusive. It's more elegant and uh, it still performs pretty well. Not as good as the annoying first second pop-up, but it's it's better. Right. Good tips there. Okay. So, I mean, we could go like this, this could go on for hours. Uh, so, we, we might have to uh, get you back and do a deeper dive. But I just want to touch on before you go, I hear the word SEO, SEO all the time. I get uh, 10 emails a day uh, from companies that are saying we can make you rank higher in Google by, um, you know, using SEO. And it's like you could, you pay a lot of money monthly to do that. Is it worth investing in um, that sort of strategy to get your website to rank higher in Google? And how important is that for photographers? Um, I call it SEO procrastination sometimes because uh, unless you have a huge amount of traffic, like let's say into hundreds of thousands of visitors per, per month or tens of thousands, then you can't really move the needle needle too much with with SEO as opposed to taking care of other more important things on your website, like optimizing your website. So the small traffic that you do get to it converts better and trusts uh, the photographers and sees it as an expert in that niche. Um, but it's just, it's it's a common obsession with, with photographers to focus on SEO. Um, I guess it's because it's easier, it's more practical. You, you, you read articles, you follow a bunch of technical tips, you, you check some boxes and, and you're done, as opposed to doing the hard work, the, the more meaningful work of, of improving the user experience on your website, of, of editing down your portfolio like we spoke about, of copywriting uh, next to your images, the wording. That's all harder to do, so photographers, uh, hide from that work and go into SEO, which is, uh, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple, simpler to tackle. So it's a um, shortcut, but it's a, it's a, a substantial investment from, from what I've seen, uh, from, from, uh, you know, he, hearing about it, it's, it's a lot of money to, to get yeah, your website well, up to the top the, and the then industry someone else will grew. come along. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's offer and demand. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are better ways to uh, get your website, uh, more traffic to your website. There's simpler ways for photographers. Um, what's your thoughts on, on blogging in your niche to, to get more eyes on the website? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very uh, big on blogging. I think it's, it's an excellent way. Um, it's, it's part of content marketing. I don't want photographers to expect that they start a blog and they see immediate results from it. Sometimes... 
if you're consistent, it can take uh, a year or two or three to get really meaningful results from it. Mm. But um, if you're playing the long game and you really want to get well known in your niche, uh, then blogging is 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 excellent. Um, you position yourself as an expert. You show people behind the scenes, look at how you shot something, what decisions you took. Uh, it, you give glimpses into your life so they trust you more. It's a lot more content for SEO. So you start ranking better mm. uh, for the keywords that you want. It's, it just ticks so many boxes that can help you. Um, it's it's not a quick uh, solution, but it's it's so effective, and um, then you can use that content. You can repurpose it in different ways. You can fuel your entire social media presence with yeah. bits and snippets from your blog. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I'm really a big fan of blogging, but I understand it's a difficult thing to tackle. Uh, people don't have, they feel they don't have ideas. They don't have a voice. They don't know what to write about. It's, it's not easy. Yeah, but it's, it's, I think it's so worth it. I mean, I've seen a huge, um, improvement in, uh, my ranking in Google, uh, since I started blog, I've been blogging for about, um, maybe eight years now. And I saw that, you know, maybe like you said, a couple of years in a, a massive jump in my rankings and I've blogged consistently. I think I've put out three a week, uh, at the moment. So I'm pl- probably blogging a lot more, but I'm also in the education section, but for, for a phot- photographer who say specializing in headshots, there's no reason why that you couldn't blog about, say, uh, you know, five things that you need to uh, do to prepare for a headshot session. And that's educating your market and showing you as an expert in your field. And then you find that suddenly people that wouldn't know you uh, normally might be searching for ideas of how do I prepare for a headshot? And then, oh, hang on, here's a headshot photographer in my area. And suddenly you're getting traffic. Exactly. The, the the blog posts um need to be useful and and helpful but not overly um, salesy. They need to be educational. The, the the selling your services is very passive and discreet. It it shouldn't be the other way around. And when people find your blog posts on Google on uh like you said how to prepare or what to wear for a studio photo shoot or what to do with your images after or how to what questions to ask your headshot photographer things like that they generally are interested in that content to learn but then of course they notice your photos there and they see that you offer that service they're just much more inclined to hire you it's 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 a great marketing tactic yeah yeah and and i think a lot of photographers get uh sort of fearful of the idea of blogging because they say i can't write and so the best advice i got from valerie Koo, my co-host when when i began writing she said to me write like you speak and i took that literally that's how i blog if anyone reads my blogs they know that it's exactly how i sound every day and 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 that's all you need to do it doesn't need to be this literary award-winning uh piece of journalism that you're writing it can be just dot points 
of your thoughts on a, on a particular subject that you want to be seen as an expert in, whether that's, you know, where to, where to find uh, the best shoes for a wedding, if you're a wedding photographer, anything that's going to attract uh, traffic. And it, it doesn't, as I said, it doesn't need to be this high-end sort of uh, literary style of writing. In fact, that's going to turn more people off, I think. Exactly. I feel that's a good point. I feel the impediment usually is some sort of fear. Uh, I've seen photographers who resisted the idea of having a blog Mm -hmm. because, like you said, they felt they didn't have a voice. They didn't know how to sound natural. But they had a really nice presence on Facebook, for example, where they wrote these beautiful posts or they they write naturally over email to their friends. So they they just couldn't translate it into a blog. And the, the simple strategies there is to start composing your blog posts in the Facebook post editor or in your in your email inbox and then just move it to to your website that that's kind of a trick to go past that fear to feel like you're just writing for one single person writing for one friend it it breaks down those barriers and then you no longer feel the the fear of public, publicly broadcasting the message to to many Exactly. Keep it simple, like the website, and it's got to be a lovely experience for um, for the viewer. Is there anything um, that you want to add to that, Alex? I mean, I, I, you could go for another four hours, I know, but in that uh, section that we've covered today, uh, is there anything you want to add? Uh, are you referring to blogging or uh, in general? In general, to the... the websites, yes. Uh, well, um... So I guess uh, I have to also mention that what makes a good website uh, amazing uh, is is two factors, not just user experience. We spoke about user experience and how to make uh, it uh, user-friendly and pretty and functional, but it's also about content as well. And we have to, I guess, mention that because content always comes first. Um, mm. in, in the projects that I do with photographers, I, I don't do photo critiques for them. They come with the content, with the images that they have, and we work with that. Um, but that's, I guess, that's still the most important factor. The website is just like just a multiplier of the of the quality of the images that you put out. It can't help you beyond that, of course. I'm I'm doing um, a big research project now. I, I I scan the internet for the most popular photography websites out there, right? right? Based on reviews, on social media followers, on every all the, the big household names that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. And I made a list of 100 websites of those top photographers. And I manually scanned them. I looked at details. What were they having on their homepage? How long were their bio? And many other factors. And I, I can tell you that a lot of them were really, really bad websites, huge mistakes. Uh, they were outdated. They they still used Flash, some of them. Uh, big broken links, like you'd click something in the navigation menu, you'd reach a 404 page and things like that. So I guess the moral is 
Um, sometimes photographers have success despite having a bad website just because the images are amazing. So yeah. that will always be a factor that trump, trumps everything else. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's what I would say. So you can't, the images have to be great. If you've got great images, you, you're off to a good start and then the website's going to support those images and, and help you convert uh, someone. Exactly. Who's, yes. The, the, the website is the multiplier. If you have something that's quality images, then the website further increases that and leads you to success in some way. But if you don't, if you multiply something by zero, it's still zero. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, that, that's the idea. And that's why things come in a certain order when you're trying to build uh, a, a successful photography business. You have to still focus on your craft at first to work on the quality of the images, then go build a good, strong uh, photography website to promote to, to showcase your work and only then focus on the more shallow technical stuff, which is a social media presence, SEO technical stuff, um, ads and things like that. Only after you've nailed the, the first two foundations, basically. I love that you put it in that perspective like that. It's it, I do I agree. It is about the the images and the rest are, are all you know the supporting cast members, but the uh, the image is king when it comes to uh, attracting clients as well. Yeah. Uh, fantastic, fantastic information, uh, Alex. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, they can just go to my website. It's foregroundweb.com, F-O-R-E, groundweb.com. It's the, the opposite of background. Um, they can, I have nothing to, to sell or promote. They can just check out the content I have on my website. I'm trying to uh, give content and information back to the to the community. And they can find articles and my newsletter there and... I'm really open to um, your listeners uh, sending me an email if they run into any other questions or they need an opinion about their website. They can just email me at hello at foregroundweb.com. I'm, I'm open to that. Fantastic. I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes as well. Uh, Alex, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Amazing content as always. Happy to, happy to be here and I hope they, they got something useful out of it. There we go, Alex Vita, lots of really good tips. And I think one of the things that uh, I really like um, that Alex was saying is that you can have all of the right web design, you can choose the right fonts, you can pick the right colors, but ultimately it's not going to have an effect if your photography itself is not up to scratch. Mm. So first and foremost, I think it is very, very important, of course, to have a good website and online presence, but importantly, make sure that your photography is up to scratch. Make sure you're picking the best of the best to showcase on your website and make sure that you're taking the time to up-level yourself. You know, we should always be learning. And I think that that is a, you know, super important takeaway as well. Mm, definitely. All right, so um, what are you doing in the coming week, Gina? Uh, got lots of we, – we've got an Aussie slang word, Val. Are we going to share that first before we talk about our weekend? Oh, go on. Sure. 
<laughs> well, got a good one. I'm very proud of it. All uh, right. What's I love this word. Uh, it's daggy or dag. <laughs> so yes. basically, okay. daggy yes. or dag means something that's uncool or not fashionable. So if you want to put it in a sentence, you can say yes. those tracky dacks, which is uh, our slang term from a few episodes ago, or jeans or sneakers are daggy. So they're uncool or, or you know, unfashionable. Mm. And oh, yes. true to any – like. A lot of Aussie words, they can have a double meaning. So it can be a way to slander someone or it can be no. a term of endearment. So yeah. you've called me a dag before, but it's like I oh, don't take offense because I know it's said as a term. Oh, you dag. You can say it's the tone. So you can say it as, as a term of endearment or you can say it as something to, oh, what a dag. Yes. So it's all, in the, it's all in the tone, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you can refer to yourself as a dag. You can basically say. Yeah. Oh, I'm such a dag. I do this, this, and this. You know, I wonder what the yeah. North American term is for dag. Well, I'm sure we'll find out, Val. <laughs> yeah, I'm do thinking, let us know yeah. for our North American listeners, um, and also listeners from other parts of the world. What's your equivalent of the word dag, which is um, yeah, uncool or unfashionable? Nerd isn't quite right because nerd implies no. other things as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let us know. We'd love to find out. Right, now you can tell me what you're doing in your coming week, Gina. <laughs> All right, I've got some um, shoots to do, uh, lifestyle. I'm also working on some new tutorials for the goal community and uh, continuing to um, upgrade my garden, Val, which is what I was doing nice. today. So I'm planting because it's spring and uh, planting stuff and hope, trying not to kill anything. What about you? I am I'm doing something a bit different this week. So this week I'm speaking at a conference and um, I'm talking to a group of people on how to grow their business through the art of storytelling and it's the Dance Studios Owners Association. So they all own <laughs> dance studios. <laughs> wow. So that's a little bit different, huh? <laughs> and can you dance? Can I dance? Mm. Uh, I won't be dancing at it. I'll be on well, stage Wouldn't you want to just bust out a few moves for them just to sort of, you know, connect and speak their language? You know, I could just see you. I if Like if I was doing that, Val, I yes. would moonwalk across the stage. No, I don't I think so. I reckon that would impress everyone no. or maybe just do, uh, what's that other one, the nut bush? That's easy. No, my preparation for this has actually been to go to all of their websites and it's absolutely fascinating because I think that what they do, what many of them do is such a such a um awesome service to the community because a lot of it is for kids and a lot of it is um giving kids confidence in, you know, in groups and in performance, but even if you don't want to perform, just be in social interaction. So um it's been a really interesting deep dive into an industry I wouldn't normally deep dive into. The world of dance. Amazing, Belle. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> all right, so where do we find you online, Gina? 
Summit GinaMilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm across all social media is at Gina Militia. Uh, I'm also in the podcast Facebook group. The So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast. The, the Facebook podcast. group. The Facebook, Facebook group. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook. The Facebook group. It's another Aussie slang. <laughs> uh, there's a link to that in the show notes if you can't find it. And also if you want to connect with me in person and you want to take your photography to the next level, I'd love to work with you. I love teaching. I like you've got no idea how much joy I get like the people like Kerry Setch whose mm. image we shared at the start of the show taking everyone whether you're a um a mum at home raising your kids. You just want to take better photos to photographers who want to be professional and, um, you know, earn money from that. We've got all levels from beginner to, um, fully fledged pros in there. And, uh, we cover everything from lighting, Photoshop, Lightroom, posing, directing. It's all in there. So go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community if you want to find out more. What about you, Val? It's such an awesome community everyone's so supportive um yeah you can find me at valerie Koo. that's k-h-o-o on twitter and instagram and feel free to connect with me on facebook and of course i'm on facebook in the so you want to be a photographer podcast community thanks for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time thanks guys thanks for listening to so you want to be a photographer For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.